One of the most beautiful things about where God has put Calvary geographically uh, is the view that we have. We're right here on the bluffs of the Tennessee River, and you can see all the way to the mountains in this direction. You can see the gardens over here in this direction. That's the upside. And uh, I don't know of any church, without exaggeration, that has a, a prettier view than this. But the other side of that is there's the sun, and you guys are going to have to start bringing sunglasses uh, during this season and over here. And then sometimes with our projection, because our projectors are uh, kind of dim. We've had them for a long, long time now, for over a decade, I think. And so we're going to try to maybe do something about that this year. But right now, the, the screens are hard to read because of the sun. Uh, we hope you'll be able to, uh, to make do with that. Let's talk about um, what our big idea is uh, for today, for this time, and for this message. And, uh, and, and here it is. Our Christ-centered DNA describes the center of who we are as a church, who we are, Calvary. Our mission, our values, our vision that's unique for us, our strategy, the ministry that we have, everything about us comes from our DNA. And we'll define this DNA by our love, the truth, fellowship, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's the big idea. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next several minutes. Now, there's a text that we have in common as far as a vision or a calling, uh, whether it's Calvary Baptist Church, whether it's Ebenezer Methodist Church, whether it's Second Presbyterian Church, whether it's whoever we are in Christ, uh, in, in the body of Jesus, we have one thing in common as far as our calling and our abilities to do this. And this is in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, and probably pretty familiar for any of you if you've been hanging around church for a little while. It says this, and this is from Jesus. This is like, here's what I want you to do. We call it the Great Commission or His Last Commission. This is the big deal. And Jesus came to him and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I will be with you. I'm with you all the way through, even unto the end of the age, unto the end of, unto the end of everything. So here's our mission. Our mission, whatever church you go to, but particularly in this church, is to reflect Jesus. To make disciples. That's written into our DNA. That's who we are in our core. We're to reflect Christ daily. And to invite others into this family of Jesus. And I believe, and I'll say this a little more toward the end of the message. Because I think it's a part of our specific DNA as a fellowship here at Calvary. That we are to be people who are healed. And extend that healing into the lives of other people in this community as well as other places even around the world. That's who we are. Now, I got fascinated with this idea about DNA. I guess it was about a year and a half ago or so that my uh, family gave me uh, one of those DNA kits. How many of you have done that? I'm just kind of curious. How many of you have done, you've checked your DNA out? Okay, wow, several of us, we kind of know. Isn't that fascinating? And I know there's several different companies that do that. 
um, I forget the one I went through, heritage, no, ancestry, maybe that's what it was. Uh, and it's kind of cool because it tells you a lot about yourself. Your DNA is, is like this big thing that can expose all this stuff about you. Guess what? I was so surprised. I'm Irish. Yeah, my great-great-grandfather, yeah, Jack O'Reilly, uh, came over from Ireland. I never would have guessed that I was Irish. Um, but, but I am, and that's wired up as part of the code in my, in my DNA. Your DNA defines physically who you are. It not only defines who you are, but it tells a lot about who you are. From your lineage, you know, I kind of know, and uh, that's pretty fascinating, and says you're this percent, uh, I, I'm, I have a certain percent of like Swedish or Danish something in me, and I thought, I don't, I don't, I didn't know where that came from, and, and all these other things that's a part of that. Your DNA decides, you know, your eye color, uh, your uh, ethnicity, your skin color, your physical capabilities. DNA is what tells us who did the crime in all those crime shows that you binge on on Netflix. You know, it, it, DNA is the center of, of the physical aspect of just being human, being a human being. And being is important. In, in our world, and, and I, I'm trying to break away, you know, I don't know if it's a resolution or just try, try personally grow to stop saying, you know, not use cliches so much, and we have a lot of them, but, um, you know, in this fast-paced world, we're constantly doing, 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 doing. And I think some of us, in fact, a lot of us have probably wrapped our identity up in what we do. And that's maybe the first question you ask somebody. If you see them, you know, you're in an airport or the deli or a coffee shop or you just meet them somewhere and you go, so what do you do? No, who are you is a bigger issue because what you do is going to flow out of who you are. And some of us have even brought that in uh, to this setting, into your faith, into your Christianity. You define yourself by what you do. Well, I go to church, and I did this, and I did that, and now I'm doing this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm involved over here. And, and, and so we have this smaller view of what it means to be in Christ because we've made it all about us. So I kind of picked this idea, you know, that who we are uh, precedes what we do. I think DNA is a good word picture for that. You know, that just kind of brings that about. Because as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're born again with spiritual DNA. And that tells us who we are. We are the redeemed people of God. We're not just, you know, adherents to a new philosophy or to an old way or to a tradition or here's this Christian worldview, you know, and I hear that sometimes, you know, that, oh, yeah, you're, so you're part of the, I think, no, 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 I'm in Christ. I just didn't change the way I think about things or my viewpoint, my opinion or my political stance. No, I changed at the core of, of my essence, of, of my being. And the New Testament picks up on that, and you see a lot of that kind of biological language. You know, all the way back in John 3, 3, Jesus says, you know, you must be born again. We're called 
the body of Christ several times in the New Testament. The Bible tells us that we're a new creation in Christ. You know, we have this new life in Christ. Do you feel how organic that is? That we're never described as a corporation or as a structure or as, you know, this kind of entity. And I think there are two kind of churches. One church is sort of structured in that way. And maybe it's in a very American thing, but I've seen it in other places too. And it kind of reminds me of West Town Mall. You know, a lot of churches are built like malls. And you've got these big anchor stores. You know, you've got, well, it used to be Sears, but they're going away. Uh, so I'm trying to think of some of the others because I don't go to the mall a lot. But, um, yeah, okay, help me out. Pennies, uh, Dillard's. Dealers, that's a fun word. Profits used to be there. Uh, you get the idea. There's these huge stores, and then there's all these little boutique stores. You know, there's the Apple store, and there's this store, and there's that store, and there's all these smaller stores that kind of connect those. And some churches are designed just like that. You got the big anchor, you know, you got worship, and then you've got maybe Bible study class, and you've got groups, and you've got all that, and then you're connected with these smaller ministries uh, that kind of pull it all together. That's not at all a New Testament model. Jesus, Paul, all writers always have in mind this picture of something organic. That we're this living, breathing expression of who Jesus is. We're the body of Christ. It's very organic. It's, you know, and I hope you kind of get that concept. And the thing about us is that Jesus is the center of of our DNA strand. Everything comes from him. That's why one of the final things that Jesus said to his disciples, you know, as I mentioned a moment ago, we read together called the Great Commission, is we're talking about this mission. It's what we do while we're talking about being the church. What's Calvary being before you know, what we're doing. That's our identity. Our mission, the doing part, is a part of that identity that flows out of this DNA that becomes intertwined with the mission. You get that? And that kind of makes sense. He says, go into all the world. We're commissioned. We've been given authority, and this, you know, these marching orders, you need to go. You, you, you need to go. And that word go is really in this tense. It's, it's, a, it's a present active tense, and it, it means to be going. In other words, as you're going about your life, your everyday life, when you're at work and school and the grocery store and you're having family time and you're going to ball games, it says as you're doing your life, we need to constantly be reflecting Jesus. And let that be a part of who you are. And not just something you do on Sunday mornings. Or maybe your community group meets on Sunday nights or on Wednesday night, Tuesday night. Or maybe you come to a cafe and you think, well, I do these things. And that sort of gives the evidence. That kind of shows this is who I am. No, no, no. It's the other way around. And see, who you are maybe will give expression to those things. But it's every day. It's not just connected to 3200 Kingston Pike. So as you're living your life, as you're going about, just like my genetic code reflects aspects of my family heritage. You know, my spiritual DNA needs to reflect who I belong to. 
I hope that makes sense to you, you know, and people, you know, you can see pictures of my uncle or my grandfather, and you can see, I mean, and, and I've seen those, and I, there's some of those I didn't see until the last several years, and I go, oh my goodness, I'm looking at somebody who looks a whole lot like me, you know, because that was passed down, and some of you are like that, right? You look like your aunt so-and-so, or your mama, or, you know, whoever it is, or, or siblings that all look alike. You ever seen families where you just look at them and think, I know whose child you are because you just look so much you know, like those people. Listen, we should have this one thing in common, as diverse and as different, you know, and all these, all these ways we've come to Jesus. And, uh, and some of us have had just completely different paths than others and religious backgrounds and all of that. The one thing in our core that should tie us together is our DNA is in Christ. That's where we get this new life from, and that should reflect that. One thing in common that we should all have is that we belong to Jesus. That's our DNA. So he says, as you're going into the world, what is it you're supposed to be doing? This is who you are. He says, make disciples. We're reflecting and living this life for Jesus, and we should be inviting others to join this new family. We disciple each other. We mentor each other. We pull each other in. We help each other. We come alongside in this, this born-again experience, this, this new life in Jesus. And he says, as you're doing this together, because you were never meant to do it by yourself. You were never meant. That, that is a lie from the enemy. Isolation will always come from the enemy. And you will do things and think things and go in terrible directions when you're isolated. Isolation is a powerful weapon of the enemy. And that's why he constantly, all throughout Scripture, uh, says that you guys need to meet together. You need to pull together. You need to worship together and pray together. We're just two or three of you. At least get two or three of you together because there's such tremendous power there. Bob Goff said this is a whole lot more uh, like riding a bus than it is a unicycle. Okay, and so if you're a unicycle person, you need to hop off and get on the bus, you know, because we do this together. He says we make disciples and we teach them. We teach each other. And I know that's been downplayed in our generation. And I know that that even when I say that, you go, oh, man, I've had so much teaching. And I get that. I understand that a lot of people have filled up their brains. We have tons and tons of information, but still feel disconnected from God. Because it doesn't come that way. It's not an intellectual process. But you need to know. There's so much you need to know. Because Jesus taught how to do this life together. And that's what all of this is about. It's how to do love. How to do money. How to, how to, how do you, what do you do with your sin? What do you do after you sinned? What is redemption? What is, you know, what about lies? What about sex? What about politics? What about all these cultural obsessions that just seem to kind of fall one after the other? And, and here we are as believers thinking, wow, I'm kind of reeling and I'm not sure. How do I respond to that? What do I do in this situation? That's why we teach. We teach each other what Scripture tells us. So let me ask you this. This is kind of a tough question. Are you reflecting... Not just the love, you know, the life of Christ. Are you reflecting the teachings of Jesus in your life? This is who you are. This is your DNA. So what you do, does that kind of give us a clue, an indication? Or are there all kind of conflicts and contradictions? 
you know, would a brother or sister come up and say, wow, I'm just really confused because you say you're in Christ, but you live this way or you do that. And you think, well, it's not about legalism, but it is about consistency. And that's going to show up. That's going to show up. You know, I'm probably almost 90% sure I'm never going to play in the NFL or the NBA or the MLB. I'm, I'm, I'm just not. You know what? I could try. I could work out. I could, you know, uh, do elderberry syrup. I could, uh, I could eat you know, correctly and all of that. It's just not going to happen. And I know some of you are thinking, probably you missed your shot. You could have, but you've gotten really old. I couldn't have done it when I was young. Now, I went out for football, and I played for a couple of months. I was the smallest guy on a team that dressed out close to 100 guys. And they were all monsters. And, and I would just like, hi, here I am, you know, hey, coach. And they go, who is that? Oh, that's the guy. And my helmet, I looked like Darth Vader. I mean, I would run, and the helmet would bother. I think, I can't see, I can't see, you know. And I mean, I was just, and so the coach, one of the wisest guys I ever knew. And a couple years after I graduated high school, I went back and thanked this guy for something he did. He came to me one day, and he says, uh, he called me Danny back then. Danny, um, Listen, um, really appreciate you. you show a lot of heart and everything, but you know what? Our track team, we need some fast guys. He said, you're really fast. He said, man, you run, you get out of there so quickly, and you're just so, he said, we need sprinters. I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you leave the football team and join the track team because the school needs you? And I felt so, I'm like, I'll do it, coach. <laughs> I'll save the track team. Now, there were like 40 guys on the track team that could outrun me. And it wasn't until later that I realized he just cut me. (laughs) He cut me from the team to keep me from getting killed. And I I wonder, I still wonder, did my mother write him a note and say, please, he's coming home and you're killing him. Uh, And he told me that, but he did it in such a gracious and beautiful way. And I ran track for the next seven years. I mean, I did. I mean, it just, that kind of worked. You see, that's never going to happen because of my DNA. And if you were to see me, if you were to, you know, you watch one of the bowl games or, you know, you, you watch the championship, you think, is that, Dan? that's our pastor. Look at that. He's quarterback, you know, and you'd think that's, that's not going to happen. You see, it's just as weird. It would be just as crazy for some of us to continue to engage this year into the behaviors that we're engaged in and saying, I'm in Christ. It's it's such a conflict. It's such a contradiction. And it's the same way. If that's true for me, it's true for all of us. If as a church, if as a church we're not consistent with what what Jesus is and who he is, then something's out of kelter. So we live in him and we teach each other. Are you reflecting the teachings of Jesus in your life? Written into our code is the call to be God's people in this world and to invite others to know Jesus. That's who we are. That's why we chose, you know, remember last year I did a series, you know, we talked about connecting and, and, and I put, you know, this kind of a flow up there of how this works. And I thought about doing that today. I'll do it again at another time just to remind you. But, but that's who we are. 
It's just, it's just that simple, and we share that with a lot of other folks. But then there are specific things that I think God calls each church out. You know, we're a little different from some other churches uh, just because our DNA. And he gives us a vision. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And um, I think this is still true for us. And God just kind of brought my eyes back to the scripture. It says, and the Lord answered me and says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. And the vision awaits its appointed time and it hastens to an end as will not and will not lie. Every church has a vision. You may have, and I pray that you do, or that it's, it's developing uh, in your life, in your heart, and your soul, a vision for who God wants you to be, for the woman that God wants you to be, for the man that he's created you to be. And I know it's kind of become a thing, you know, like especially among believers, you know, for Christians to say, you know, to ask each other, so what's your word for the year? Did God give you a word for this year? And I think that's pretty cool that that becomes this defining motivation for your year. And you think, this is my word for the year. I'm going to write this down. I'm going to keep it before me. And, and it kind of fuels the direction, you know, that, that you go. And, that, and that's pretty cool. But at, at, in a bigger sense, I think there is a vision that God will give birth to in your heart. And it may be different than the vision that God gives me personally. You get that? But there will be a vision that ties us together. That ties us together as a fellowship. So you have your specific ministry. Maybe, you know, you've got a real heart for um, maybe people who are struggling in their relationship. Maybe you've got a heart for people who are suffering with cancer. Maybe you have a heart for young women who've experienced abortion and, and now they just feel like they're just covered up in guilt and shame and you think, oh, let me walk with you forward in that. Maybe for some of you, it's for the homeless. For, you know, it, it, we all have these different visions for our lives, but as a church, all those visions get tied together. We have this ministry together. And that DNA of our vision helps us to imagine what can be in the future. To visualize what a community that embodies our mission and values would look like. What would Calvary look like? You know, just to daydream about that. And I know, like in recent years, and I, I, I did a lot of research on this. I mean, I spent hours doing it. I just got fascinated and went down this kind of a rabbit hole, you know, discovering your family tree. And I've got a couple of gaps. But I can go pretty far back. I can go all the way back now. Um, it's a little sketchy in a couple of places, but to the late 1700s. And then there's a big empty space until the Middle Ages. And then there's a huge empty space until like the dawn of time when the first Rileys appeared on the horizon. Uh, but, but it goes all the way back, you know, all, all the way back. And that's really interesting to, you know, a, a lot of people, and that's grown in popularity. And people want to know, where do I come from? Who came before me? And I want to understand, that's going to help me understand a little better who, who I am. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what it would look like visually for us at Calvary. Now, a few years ago, we did kind of a celebration of our 100th anniversary as a church. We were born on Circle Park 
um, and they wanted to reach the western part of the campus, you know, and they pushed all the way here. I mean, not here, but uh, on the UT campus where we were. Uh, that was our heart. First Baptist Church started a Bible study to reach students and professors and people connected with the university, and that was pretty far west. This would have been really West Knoxville. This would have been uh, way, way out there. Uh, Bearden Hill, all of this that way was just farmland. But somebody had a vision. Somebody had a vision. And when the university needed more and more land for housing and for, you know, academic buildings and all that, and they kept pushing in this direction, then, then Calvary had to move. And some of you know about the rock that's over there. That was in the original church. That was in the basement of the church. I mean, that, that, we were connected that far. So in 1965, we pushed this way as far, you know, we had to get off campus, but we wanted to stay as close as possible because we had a heart for the university and for families in this area. And so here we are, 3200 Kingston Pike. Now, the population has since shifted west, but God's kept us here. And then in the last couple of years, we've seen this kind of phenomenon that we did not expect. As a staff, several years ago, we did a demographic study of just eight miles around us. And, and it told us kind of like, here's the people who live close to you, and here's their age and general income bracket and all of that. And it's changed just even in the last couple of years. Folks are moving back into this area which is, like I say, we didn't see that coming because the center of population kind of became uh, towards Cedar Bluff, just a little past Cedar Bluff, and that area is really the center of population of Knoxville. But God has given us a unique DNA and calling and vision and ministry for right where he's planted us. When I first came on staff, somebody, you know, they were asking imagination questions. They were asking, like, big questions, like, well, what would you do? You know, those kind of things in an interview. You ever had those? And you think, uh, where's he go, and what's the right answer? And, you, you know, it's almost a game. And you think, no, just be yourself and just give the right, you know, just give your honest answer. And they said, well, what would you do if you could just make the decision about Calvary right now? I said, I'd sell every inch of this property. <laughs> I said, I'd get out of here, and I'd go west where all the people are. Now, at that time... The, uh, the, the property where Blaze Pizza and Panera and uh, what else is in there? You know what I'm talking about? Yassin's, the, you know, the little, little deli in there. and all. That was all for sale. I said, I would buy, I would sell all of this and I'd buy that property. I said, and I'd build a brand new church right there. And everybody just sat there. And I thought, wrong answer. <laughs> it was so obvious. Every expression. And finally, one guy spoke up and said... Um, but what about the university? We're supposed, God's called us to be here for students. And the room was just quiet, and I realized, oh, that was not negotiable. I said, oh, well, my plan B, you know, I got another idea. Listen to this idea. You're going to love this. Let's stay here and build a tunnel under the, you know, no, I didn't say that. Um, but we did. So, you know what? God is so unique. In the way that he created, and every church, and I love so many of the churches in Knoxville, and we're so distinct, we're, we're all together, but we're so specific. I don't know of any other church that has a tunnel. I don't know spiritually what that means. We could probably come up with metaphors for it or whatever, but, uh, but, but we, we are who we are. So, you know, a, a popular verse that talks about vision, you know, here in, in, in Habakkuk 2, he says, write the vision, make it plain. I want you to think 
think with me about you know that you know where we've been and who we are but vision deals so much more with the future and it deals with what we can imagine imagination isn't just for novels for movies and for your art class imagination is for us and I believe that this is a year that God would redeem the imagination of folks here at Calvary. I believe God's going to redeem and restore our imaginations. Now look at a time when all the best authors and painters and inventors and scientists, and they all came out of the body of Christ. They were all Christians. You know, I just saw Les Mis a, a few nights ago, and then Victor Hugo was such a, a powerful Christian, and I love this scene of redemption. You know, when, when Jean Valjean, he steals the silver from this priest who had helped him so much, and, and he gets caught, and he comes back, and it's like, oh, he's busted. You know, now what's going to happen? He's going to be thrown back into prison and all of this. But the priest, who had not only given him, you know, uh, such refuge, he overlooked the fact that he had stolen from him and he added to it. He goes, oh, you forgot these candlesticks here. And then later he tells him in a conversation, I have bought your soul for God. I have redeemed you. you know, I think God has redeemed us for a very specific purpose. That's just a real beautiful picture of who we are as individuals in our DNA and then as a fellowship, as a fellowship. Here's the thing I want you to remember. Faith is an act of the imagination. It's when you imagine your life filled with Jesus, what could he do in your marriage, in your family, in your relationship with your parents? What if Jesus were at the core and at the front with your children, with your neighbor, and, and all of these places? What if? Imagine that. Imagine that. Instead of imagining your enemy in a car wreck <laughs> or, or with some terminal illness or falling downstairs, or, you know, and, and you have the, you know, and you, oh, I wish I'd have said this, and oh, boy, I can just see myself just punching him, right? You know, and you think, no, let God redeem your imagination. What if you could be at harmony? What if you could be at peace and in love again? Faith is an act of the imagination. So if it's reason, if, it, you know, if it's information that changes our mind, then it's imagination that changes our hearts. Touching the imagination can inspire us with vision, you know, what, what God's reality is. And that compels us to act when you begin to imagine something. And our vision infuses our imagination with possibilities. A church can have a mission and we can write slogans and pithy statements that sound good and look good on the letterhood, you know, and, and you think, well, that's good. And we can do that, but without vision, that, that's why it helps us to, to imagine how those values and missions are going to come to life in our fellowship, in this community. So, let's imagine together. Let's imagine a church where people are known by their love. Let's imagine a church that's known by love.
A love that isn't superficial. It isn't just something we say in a cliche. It's one that's genuine and deep and strong. Jesus said, people are going to know you belong to me by your love for one another. That's what he said in John 13, 35. He didn't say your opinion or what you think about the Bible, which version you use, where you go to worship, what the name of your denomination is. He didn't say any of that. He said, no, they're going to really know. You're going to change lives when you love people. You can out-talk them. You can out-argue them. And maybe you've been intimidated in circumstances where you thought, wow, that guy's so smart or, or she knows so much and I just, I'm not going to be able to, to, to stay with them. You know, don't worry about that. Just love them. Just love. Just love each other. Love flows from our Christ-centered DNA. That's our code. We love God with everything we have through the power of his love for us. And, you know, folks, if we just did this one thing, if you just imagine this, if we just lived by this love, then this expression wouldn't just stop at the, at the doors. It wouldn't just be confined to this property. It would expand. It would infect this community in beautiful and powerful ways. Whether it's your high school campus or your neighborhood, your office buildings, uh, the, the dorms, the classrooms at the university. It's an amazing, powerful thing, and the, and the world sees such, so, so little of it, such a rare thing. Imagine a church where faith is cherished and proclaimed, where we don't have everything figured out and budgeted, and we understand, and we think we can do it, and okay, let's go forward, and we've studied four other models, and here's another church that's doing it, and what if... What if we just were a place where faith, where faith is, is cherished and is proclaimed and, and we, we move forward faithfully, just trusting God? What if we connected faith with truth? That would be a powerful thing, wasn't it? In sermons... In community groups, in all of our ministries, in our Bible studies and student ministries and, and, and all of the classes and all of the things that we do. In a world where, you know, a, a lot of places, and, I, and I'll tell you, even churches kind of waffle on the truth. Where we think, well, truth is sort of relative and it depends on, you've got to tell me more information. Uh, and it's subject to changing opinion or preferences. What if the church were a place where truth and redemption were found in Jesus and that could be nurtured? I mean, that would help me so much to know, okay, here's the truth about that. I can just stay with that. No matter what is going on around me and everybody's opinions and how this continues to shift and change. Imagine a place where people could come and not just know that they're loved, but know that there's truth to be found in Jesus, and that's expressed through their faith. Imagine that. Now imagine a church that feels like a second family. Imagine a church of connection. A beautiful mosaic that's multi-generational. It's a lot of folks who just love each other. When we were in college, 
you know, I was on staff at a church uh, all the way through college and through seminary and then, you know, went full time, you know, at the end, end of that. But on those times where you couldn't get there, you know, maybe it was weather or maybe, you know, you couldn't drive because I commuted from Jackson back to Memphis, you know, on the weekends for this church. And sometimes we just couldn't make it. There was this little church pretty close to Union University um, that we liked. And it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't real showy. There wasn't anything fancy about it. We just felt connected. There's something about the people there and the atmosphere. We just liked that environment. And we loved the pastor's heart and we loved the... But there was something about that place that just kept... Well, where do you want to go? Well, let's go back there. And we would just be drawn there because of the, that family element. And because we saw other students all, all day long every day. You know, we lived on campus. Everybody looked just like me. I mean, you know, everybody was the same age and everything. So it was kind of nice to be part of a family. And I could see little kids. And I could see older people. And I could see these middle-aged folks. And I could just, I could be part of something and be connected. And I love that. And I think that's part of the uniqueness of who Calvary is. This is a place. You just imagine a place where people could be accepted and loved and healed. No matter who they are, where they've come from. Where people can grow in a community of believers. I mean, our culture can breed isolation. And the false hopes that come with any kind of idea of real community. We think if we go to a coffee shop, we're in a community. You know, we think if we go to a restaurant and the server tells us their first name. Oh, now we're in a relationship. <laughs> I'm in community. You know, and we settle for that. But we live in neighborhoods where we pull into our driveway, we open the garage door, we pull in the garage, we close the garage door. We just live in these cocoons. You go into your apartment, you go into your dorm room, you go, you know, and, and in our office, in our cubicles, and you see our whole society is designed to disconnect us from one another, even in your homes, even with your families, especially with your phones. Walk around. <laughs> Everybody's looking down, and they're not even in that place. They're somewhere else. They're somewhere else. Having this very superficial relationship. What if we just turned them off for a minute and just paid attention to each other? Imagine a church. They said, hey, we want to be a place of real community where people can connect. Imagine a church where lives are changed. Where love and truth and faith and this family, you know, all of this culminates into people being transformed they get new DNA. Their core is different. Our being is not the same. Where people who are addicted can find true freedom. Where healing is tangible in areas of life. Where your marriage, where your relationships with people in your family, with other people in this community is radically transformed because you were a part of a church where lives are changed. The change that happens at the individual level impacts the community. 
I got a, a note during the holidays from a friend who, he said, I don't know if you realize this, you probably don't remember it. He said, but 25 years ago, he said, I came to Calvary. And he said, one day we had a conversation. And he said, I understood grace. And I understood freedom and salvation. He said, it's like I'd been in church my whole life. I had been addicted. I'd been through all these rehab programs. He said, but in that moment, and because I was connected to this fellowship, my life changed. And I just want you to know, Jesus is still in me. And I'm still living for Jesus because of that transformation. What if this were a place like that? Imagine with me where the DNA of Christ goes from the individual to the community, where a flourishing church helps create flourishing communities and people. So I'm praying about this during the holidays, and I'm thinking through this, and I'm kind of looking, go, God, what do you have for me this year? What do you have for me? Because you see, if it bypasses me, if, if it doesn't go through me, and just goes over me, and all I give to you is out of my head, and out of my study, and out of books, and out of logo software, and you know, then that's what's going to fill you up, is more information, and every Sunday we're just going to go out and eat lunch, and we're going to say, yeah, I learned some more stuff today, and oh, he told me a Hebrew word, or you know, oh, here's what that means in the Greek, and your life's not going to be changed, and the thing I'm learning, I would love to say I have learned, but I am learning, it's got to flow through me. If I'm not real, if it's not genuine and you don't see it in my life, not just hear it from my words, then it doesn't really mean anything. So I'm praying, God, would you, would you speak to me? And I never try to take an Old Testament scripture or any scripture uh, that God said, you know, Dan, you've taken that and you've made it mean you. I actually wrote that for Israel. <laughs> That was about Israel, and it didn't have anything to do with you. Uh, but then sometimes God will just lead my heart oh, again and again to a scripture. And here's the scripture I feel like God's given me for 2019. And I feel like, even though I say, okay, this is for me, it's for us. Because see, if it flows through me, and if everything I've just been saying is true, then it ought to affect all of us, right? And the same with you. Because we share that. We're not in isolation. So here's the scripture. It's in Psalm um, number 90. It's verse 16 and 17. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I use ESV a lot, but the first time I read this, it wasn't in ESV. It was in the New King James. And there's some of the language there that is just really compelling for me. In verse 16, he says, uh, you know, let your works be shown to your servants. Um, the Hebrew word for work is, is one's activities or deeds. It's not like when you get up and go to work. It's just like, what are you doing all the time? Who, who are you? What are you known for? Oh, yeah, that's the guy that does this. Oh, yeah, she plays violin. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he's on the soccer team. You know, it's, it's what you're doing in your life. He says, whatever expression that is, what you're doing with your life, Moses talks about 
He says, the servants will see your works. He said, but what we want to see is your beauty. And it's translated here, favor. You know, show us your favor. It's really the beauty of the Lord. And I underline that. The word beauty is also the word that's translated pleasure. It's written in a form that brings about, you know, this, this whole idea. It's really difficult to translate, but it means blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. This whole verse. I mean, we don't have the exact equivalent in English, but in other words, here's the idea. That may all of our ministries be successful in bringing pleasure to the Lord. And out of that pleasure of the Lord, we see his beauty. We see the beauty uh, of the Lord. Some of us are still living, like in the first part of this verse, where it says, your servants see your works. And we're living on that entry level, you know, place in our relationship with him. Oh God, I see how you're working. I see you provided and you did this. And I, I see that, I see that. And I think, you know, that's, that's okay. A servant gets to see the works of the Lord in his life or her life. But as children, we see more than just how he acts and what he does. We see him. We see his beauty. We see his beauty. And he starts doing good things that we can see and that others can see. He begins healing. He begins repairing relationships. He begins blessing financially. He he does all this, but as we move deeper and deeper into Christ and we identify more and more with Jesus, we see not just the attributes, not just the, you know, the, oh, look what happened. I think, you know, oh, look, this came in or that happened. We begin to see Jesus and we see how beautiful he is. Now, some of us are still living like you're just servants. You weren't redeemed to be just that. There are plenty of blogs and websites and books and conferences and, you know, all of that that center on God's works and how to get God working in your life and how to do this and how to do that. I don't really need to add my voice and be, you know, another person telling you that. I have seen him heal and work and move in incredible, in amazing ways. I've seen that. And I'm trusting him to do it again. But I believe that for us, in 2019, we'll see his beauty. Rather than focusing on how to get things from God, let's focus on bringing pleasure to his heart. We have been, historically, for well over 100 years, a place of healing. I want you to think about that. Calvary's always had ministries of healing. I looked at the list of ministries that we partner with in Faith Promise. And almost all of those, I think, oh, this is a, a rehabilitation ministry that are helping people get over their addiction to chemicals. Oh, the sight ministry. Oh, this is a ministry helping people who are struggling with their sexual identity and the consequences and the shame that that's brought in. Oh, this ministry and that ministry. And all these ministries have some element of healing. 
I believe this is where we are. I believe 2019 will be a year that we see people healed. In relationships, in marriages, from addictions, from anxieties, from past failures, from shame, from legalism, from empty religious activities. We're healed. We are healed. And then in that place of healing, we become healers for others. And we see healing in their lives. That's our ministry. That's something very unique about our church. Right? I mean, those of you who have been around here for several months or years, you think, wow, that's really true. This, this church is known for, you know, great worship. We want to have great worship. This church is known for great teaching. We want to have good, solid teaching. This church is known, uh, their pastor is a celebrity. And Sorry about that. But this, this church, you know, and they have all these things, but... We seem to be a church of healing. Does that just feel right to you? Even when I say that, you just think, ah, we are, we're healers. Those who are healed become healers. Those who are wounded becomes those who bind up the wounded. Those who have been broken are those who, who bring this connection and this meaning to others. So here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to start. For us to be able to extend healing, we have to understand that ourselves. We have to have been healed. So let's start there. Probably many of us in this room have a place in our lives where we just need to be healed. And either your shame will keep you running from that and not facing it, or your pride. We'll say, I don't want anybody to know there's any chink in my armor, there's, there's any weakness in me, there's any flaw. I can't show that because I've dealt with shame so much. I don't want anybody else to see or know or have any idea that I'm not anything but perfect and just like the best Baptist ever. And, you know, listen, it's not about that. And you're never going to be healed. So let's begin by praying healing over one another. And then let's take that to this community and to other places in the world. That's our calling. That's our vision. That's our DNA. That's who we are. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today. If you need healing in a place in your life, I'm going to ask that you just come forward and let's, let's take these steps and let's just turn this into uh, this spiritual hospital, this altar where we pray with and for and over one another. I'd love to pray healing over you. Now, for some of you who want this, um, I've prepared like a prayer of healing. There's nothing magical about it, but it's a really good tool that I'll give you to take home and to tonight or tomorrow. Uh, I encourage you to do it in the next 24 hours just to follow instructions, just to pray this prayer of healing and begin your journey because God wants to use you to heal people. There are others. Some of you feel so unique. You're not. Some of you feel like, well, nobody knows what I've done or where I've been or who I am. It's okay. They're a lot more like you than you think. And God wants to use you to bring healing to them. Now, if I run out of these, if you'll email me, I'll send you, or if you just want a digital copy, I'll send that to you. Okay, just send me an email. Hey, Dan, here's my email, and I'd like a copy of that prayer. That's all you got to say. 
Let's take a few moments as we sing this really sweet song. Let's pray healing over one another and for Calvary and see in our imagination what God's going to do this year. In Jesus' name, let's stand.